to a snowy day version of All Things Georgette. As always, I am your consummate hostess, Marsha, joined today by a rollicking crew of highwaymen and footpads. Two are our usual crew, her ladyships Sandy and Sharon, to whom I am related by blood. But we are especially joyful today to be joined by a special guest, Carr, not only our first male reader and honored guest, but also related to us by blood. So today we are going to jump into a discussion, you got it, of animals in Georgette Hire, of which there are often many and, and somewhat inexplicably um, they become characters, they provide amusement and distraction, and uh, we love them in Georgette novels. So to my esteemed and honored guests, animals in Georgette Hire, go. She seems to be able to give each animal, each, I think of dogs, first of all, their own personality uh, and uh, their ability to communicate pretty freely not just with the heroines, who are almost always the protagonists in these stories, but even their supporting cast of male members. Uh, I think of uh, that, uh, you're going to have to help me with the titles of the pieces, but there was a cur that uh, uh, was picked up in the street and passed off Arabella. quickly by heroine to, to, the, uh, to her escort who realized he was going to be stuck with this dog for some time. Yeah, and I think did give him, was he called Ulysses, the dog, I think? He named him Ulysses, and he was indeed a cur, a dog of mixed, mixed breeding, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yes, he became one Absolutely. of the charming, yep. charming people in, in, <laughs> in the story. <laughs> and frequently they're actually given a role in the development of the plot. And I think of another dog who uh, I think this was a larger dog and wound up being given a, I think, totally phony uh, uh, title as a particular kind yes, of the that didn't stand exist. <laughs> yeah, no, in, yeah, Lufra in Frederica. Yep, yeah. in Frederica, the and and he's he's called the Baluchistan Hound, and uh, yes, the, when he when he has to be rescued from his wild activities in Green Park. I, I think this was a name. That there was sort of a, a doubling up of uh, false distinction. First, Frederica took this misbehaving hound out of the Green Park in company with uh, various offended uh, fellow. Uh, people in the park, plus the keeper of the park, as I remember. Uh, and they went to the house of uh, the always Elver present. Stoke, the Marquis of Alverstoke. Uh, or Earl or whoever he was. Uh, <laughs> as if the dog belonged to him, which would have that was the first fiction. And then he responded with the second fiction, which was the phony. The Baluchistan Hound. The, the phony mm-hmm. breed of this dog, which I think quite impressed the keeper and the 
grumpy woman who had felt offended by the, the dog. Uh, but he could probably also help that uh, that the uh, calendar of the Earl, whatever his name was, had his secretary take them out of the room and give them a little money. Uh, but it was clear that uh, the hound in that case advanced the friendship between the Frederica and her uh, nobleman. Not, not only that, Dad, I would argue, I would go further and say that frequently animals become, um, as we mentioned, with servants, um, a bellwether, a kind of um, uh, divining rod by which we determine who is worthy of loyalty and friendship and who is not. People who mistreat servants, people who mistreat dogs and animals, um, never prosper in Georgette. And those that, um, that are kind to them, especially when they are kind, despite the disreputable condition of the animal, um, are frequently uh, rewarded with the esteem and friendship of the protagonist. Sharon, what do you think? I'm thinking of Flurry from Venetia. And Flurry is the mindless spaniel that Venetia walks and who is the instrument of her meeting with uh, Lord Damerel. And uh, uh, Flurry is, is a gun dog that is completely unable to bear the sound of gunshots. And so Venetia has, rather than drowning the animal, Venetia takes it on as a pet and it's mindless, but enthusiastic. And um, it's mindless enthusiasm is what brings Venetia to Lord Damerel. And uh, as she's off stealing his, what was it? Raspberries or something and frightening his birds. And his response to flurry being totally enjoying frightening the birds, but being unable to bear having any kind of gun associated with them is, is completely amiable. And he enjoys flurry and enjoys bantering back and forth with Venetia. And so this, this failure of a sporting dog is immediately accepted by the dissolute Lord Damerel and, um, he shows a kindness immediately that the neighborhood is waiting for him to descend upon them and be ghastly and have orgies and uh, live up to his, his poor character. But the first, the first face he shows Venetia is kind and accepting through the dog. So to your point, huh. yes, he advances the story. I yeah, I, I, I'm confused with that, though, because I think I do remember her berry picking when she meets him and um, and he grabs her and lives up to his rakish, you know, uh, reputation. And he grabs her and kisses her thinking she's a serving maid. And so therefore, it's OK. So we we actually the first thing we see of him is not something very good. I'm thinking Flurry is the dumb spaniel in um, is what's the dumb spaniel that she walks at the end of um of Friday's child, where she's staying oh, that's, with that's a pug. That's, that's the pug. pug. Right. That's the dumb that's a, pug. Yes, no flurry. Because I don't remember flurry. Flurry don't does bite that. Lord Damerel. 
He bites huh. him, okay. and Lord Damerel tells it. him to get off, and Flurry immediately does get off and mm-hmm. abases herself and apologizes desperately for having bitten Damerel. Okay. And yeah, I totally so, forgot. Yeah, Flurry is a good character. Flurry doesn't really come back into the story. I don't know what happens to Flurry, but Flurry does give oh, the well, opportunity for Damerel to show himself. Him. We're there is another glad. animal in uh, Frederica that becomes, or if, if that is Frederica, uh, who uh, plays an important part, and that is the horse that runs away with uh, her lame brother and goes charging off over a uh, high hedge and tossing the brother into a uh, Yes. State that's of further not, cripplehood. That's that's not Frederica, is it? No, Venetia. I, it's Venetia. 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 Right. And and the mm-hmm. the brother has to be uh, rescued by Lord Demerol, I guess it is, who quite intelligently brings him to his own home, doesn't take him back to his, and yes. that eventually uh, reels in uh, Venetia to commence a friendship with him. That's right. Horses That's right. Really important. But, there, but there's a big difference in yes, the way... I think I'm sorry. I was just going to say there's a big difference in the way horses tend to be treated. They can they are used to pull brooches and various uh, uh, wagons. They're, they're also used as a way of testing whether a man really knows horse flesh or is just a uh, complete dude who's capable of being suckered into buying a, a poor three-legged uh, animal who has his coat brushed and looks good. And so horses are more of an object than they are players. But dogs very very frequently have, uh, have their characters developed and get to participate more directly in the stories. I'll give you another animal that, that appears, does appear in Frederica and that's the monkey. <laughs> no, that's the Grand, Grand Sophie. Sophie. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the Grand Sophie. Sophie. I, I was, I her was little crazy greyhound, her Italian greyhound and her little monkey that she comes and gives to the children and immediately causes all kinds of havoc, turns the nursery upside down, infuriates their old nurse and um, and is a completely questionable gift. But Charles, again, is show, able to show his true colors because not only can Charles cut through the nonsense, he can also make the monkey and the out-of-control Italian greyhound obey and love him, whereas no one else loves him for quite a long time because he has quite a stick up his butt. But the monkey is a wonderful character. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I think that um, the Grand Sophie is a good example of when a when a um, an animal is a mirror to the character. Like in Sophie's case, she also comes with a, a magnificent um, war horse, Salamanca, that is her riding yes. horse, and is a, right. is is big and strong and confident and incredibly able, and is is an absolute mirror of his mistress, and 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 we absolutely see um, 
the tall, dark Salamanca being very much like the tall, dark Sophie that rides him. Yes. And in fact, knowledge of the quality of horses is very important in Georgette novels. So someone who can actually talk knowledgeably about horse flesh and can talk about, um, you know, a good pair of bloods or, I mean, there's, there's some, some reliable, uh, I can't quite remember exactly how she puts it, but there's some reliable markers. Bit of high stepper and, and as fine a bit of bone and blood as I've seen all of that kind of stuff. Um, Someone who can talk about horses knowledgeably is generally generally going to be a, a, a positive character. Someone who pretends to know about horses but is taken in and winds up buying a poor horse is usually immature or arrogant or, or sort of flawed in some in some way. So horse flesh is a is a big is a big uh, marker. And you know, now that I think about horses. What about all those races, those inappropriate horse races that some of our heroines get involved in that they're really not supposed to? My favorite in the Grand Sophie, of course, is when she takes her arch rival for a ride, the woman that Charles is supposed to marry, whose name escapes me, but she's, oh, yes. she's a terrible woman. And, um, and Sophie drives to an inch and takes her through um, the arch at St. James and it practically scrapes the, the curricle and her, her, her lady uh, acquaintance is screaming. And, and then she drives her past um, the clubs that the men frequent, uh, which is completely, she takes her to a bad neighborhood, in other words, where people can see that she's there. So she uses horses to humiliate her opponent. And, and Sophie is another- called on that by Charles. Oh, yeah. Charles rakes her down and Sophie admits her fault because she's angry at this. The, the fiance is not a terrible person. She's just really boring and very judgmental and extremely conventional and not right for Charles brings out the worst in Charles rather than the best. Um, And Sophie is frustrated that she can't change it. And so what she does is she sets out to humiliate uh, the, the fiance through her superior horsemanship and her much more dashing spirit. And, and she's called on that and she's infuriated that she has to admit that she was wrong. Another thing about, about Sophie's horse in the grand Sophie is that Charles takes one look at that horse and says, you obviously can't ride that horse. That's far too spirited a horse for a lady to ride. And it's just a projection of Charles wanting to control Sophie herself, not just the horse. And ultimately he comes to accept the fact that, that Sophie is, is not only more than capable of doing that, but is, that's the way he would want her to be. And a wonderful example of that is when he, takes her to uh, to go see an attorney toward the beginning of the book and takes her into the city and says she can't drive his curricle because it's too much for a lady, but has her wait for him while he goes into a bank or something. And she immediately takes off in the curricle and drives it all around, drives it extremely well, and then comes back and he's fumingly mad, but he has to admit that she has tremendous skill, which he respects. 
and she tricks um, his groomsmen or whatever you call them. He tricks yeah. the horse handler. She, I remember she, um, she throws her hat and says, Oh, go get my hat. It's in the gutter or something. And then as he, oh, that's as right. he when his back is turned, he quickly grabs the reins and she's doing it because Charles has um, prevented her or, or forbidden her from, from driving his curricle and, and driving his team of spirited chestnuts or whatever. So he has specifically yes. told her she may not do that because it's too much. And he's cast dispersions on her ability to ride. I will point out because I I can see that I'm about to lose power and therefore have to leave you guys. But I will I will also leave you with another another important horse race to talk about, which is towards the end of Regency Buck, and that is with um, uh, Judith Taverner, who is who is driving the curricle and racing the curricle and um, and her unwilling guardian, the Earl of Worth, and her brother, um, uh, that is, uh, I think, Peregrine, Peregrine Taverner. And, and she, she decides she's going to race the mail or go, go to get to Brighton or whatever. And, and oh, um, she thinks she's being wonderfully dashing, but then she's, she's really um, going over the edge and, and um, making, a, you know, a, being a little too far outside the bounds of propriety. Um, but her 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 horsemanship is is much admired um, by some and also um, a problem for others. So um, and that's always that's always a, a one way that that um, Georgette can talk about um, about women and women's roles in in those books. We'll miss you and your loss of power. Farewell, Countess Sandy. Um, I think she makes a great point about uh, Judith Tavner's race and how um, horse racing in general is perceived to be just beyond the pale for women. Um, I can't remember, Sharon, which one is it? There's another horse race. Maybe it's Arabella. Um, it's Friday's Child. a compliment with. Is it? Oh, it's Friday. It's Friday. Friday. That's right. It's hero. And she wanted. is, it, it's, it's when she's, she's sort of, uh, she's, she does a good job in a private, uh, horse race with one other, a match race with one other woman at a, uh, a Christmas house party and her Ooh, husband, who she's party, very much in yeah. love, is proud of her. And so right. she gets, um, she makes a mistake of, of assuming that if he's proud of her for doing that, he will also be proud of her for doing so in a, in a public venue with bets being placed. And she's being taken advantage of by the bad guy in that book, Sir Montague Revsby and his female uh, associate. And they do it on purpose to humiliate her, to draw her into stepping outside of the appropriate role. It's it's a it's such a careful um, difference between uh, tone of of having a horse race in private with friends as opposed to having a horse race in public. And she humiliates herself. Um, I would point out that with animals in Georgette, you know somebody is going to be is going to be 
boastful or arrogant or or green or whatever when they don't know what they're talking about with with an animal or they're unable to train their dog or they they think yeah. they can ride better but you know they're going to be a real bad guy if they beat an animal if they mistreat an animal oh, then yeah. they are immediately beneath contempt it's a, it's a sure flag Absolutely. in Georgette. And and this fine line is truly a flag. Um, I, I just want to add to your note about uh, this fine line for female behavior and, um, and the horse race that is acceptable in a private party is completely unacceptable when you take it into the city for an audience, a, a broader audience of society and the tongue. It's bad ton, right, for a woman to become involved. And one of the markers for you really know that the behavior is is completely outside of enough when there are bets being placed at whites, <laughs> and whites oh, being yes. the club, oh, yes. a male club, right, a men's club. And if people are are placing bets at whites, then you know the behavior is right out. Apparently, it's all right to bet at whites on whether somebody will marry somebody else, but the result in a horse race is, I guess, inappropriate if one of the persons is a is a woman. And in fact, the the match race really was put up by the other people at this house party weekend, and Friday's child was was complete naive about this. He, yes. He had no idea that racing against a woman from another hunt club would be anything more than further glory. So uh, she had to learn that instead of making herself uh, pleasing to her future spouse, he was embarrassed about all of this. No, actually, current spouse. I think they were all That's right. Now. Yes, and he was furious at her. And in fact, uh, to your point, Dad, about animals frequently being the triggers for the plot, um, as I recall, this particular brouhaha, one of many, was the one that propelled her out the door fully and finally right. because he yelled at her so hard. She was so mortified and humiliated, and she felt she finally understood that she was only going to uh, ruin his life to remain married to him. That she packs up and there's another animal that we haven't mentioned yet that also appears in Friday's child. I was just going to say that. Kitten's bird. Kitten's bird. She's given a canary when she's married by, I think it's Gil. Um, Sherry's best, one of I his think best it is. friends, Gil. And she, she wants this preposterous canary for a wedding gift and he can't resist giving her the canary. So, the canary is a is a burr under the saddle of um, Sherry, her husband, uh, for the whole novel. But when she takes the canary with her, uh, it really he even there's a line about he even missed hearing the, the canary <laughs> saying that he hated so much. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. And of course, there there's a wonderful that- denouement in that book. Go ahead, Dad. Oh, at the end of it, when they uh, there's a general meeting in a roadhouse of all the good and bad characters, as I remember, 
but I don't remember an animal present at that time. Oh yes, yes there, there is, is an one. animal. Like, isn't isn't that when the, the dog, the pug, that pug. that Mister? Um, oh, oh, that's right. Mister somebody throws her into the carriage, and Mister Charlatan completely misinterprets her and thinks that she wants him to throw her into a uh, into a carriage in a local. Pug carriage. was on a leash, and, and she was out walking this stupid dog for her for her um, patroness. And so the dog goes along for the ride. My favorite um, animal denouement by far is in the Grand Sophie when all of the characters yeah. are surrounded by and stepping amongst a flock of baby ducks who are, who are in the, 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 the Contessa's, it's not the Contessa's kitchen, it's actually the Grand Sophie's property, but she never goes there. Um, and for some reason, there are all these baby ducks inside because they'll freeze if they're left outside. And it just adds to the complete mayhem and craziness of that particular roadhouse gathering. Um, one of the endings, Sharon, that we talked about last time that we think was so brilliant. That is a grand scene. There was one uh, horse which was an inferior horse, which uh, wound up being purchased by the uh, uh, very savvy hero of the story because his twin brother had committed him to the purchase. Yes. And when he... Uh, false colors. False colors. And the, the twin brother gave himself away by being so kind to his brother's friend who was laying off this poor horse on him. <laughs> and also, also by the way the twin brother rather awkwardly offered snuff to uh, the, the man who would become his father right. eventually. Uh, <laughs> what is it? Sir Bonamy? Right. But, but. Sir something. Sir Bonamy Ripple. Ripple. Ripple, right. Sir Bonaby Ripple, that's how he knows right. because he's nice about the horse. <laughs> that's true. Well, he honors and, uh, the but, bad purchase. You're right, Dad. He honors the twin brother the purchase of the horse he would never have bought. Great. That's right. And Sir Bonaby so Ripple not, knows not that the twin brother who has gone missing and who no, a lot of them, a lot of the protagonists keep the, their first pony and they'll mention that there's, you know, there's a, a pony in the far stall in the well-kept stable that is the, their, their first pony or a donkey that they found abandoned or there's, the good people always have some kind of a, a, uh, a care for animals that are that are not of any value to the in the in the sense of the times but of course they also have the money to take care of those animals too which most people if an animal was not keeping its its function then they tended to get rid of the animal well you remember in the spanish bride the the terrible trek through the mountains Yes. And the, the future bride 
dismounts because she wants right. to care for the struggling horse. Uh, That's right. I'd forgotten that. So again, a horse was being used. She's she's to married to the, Harry Smith. She's married to him by the time the book starts. But she in that one, they're going through the the Pennines and it's incredibly hot and dusty and, and terrible conditions. And she gets off her horse to spare it and she's delirious. And um, her husband is going up and down the line, watching out for men who have fallen out of the ranks. And she's, she's saying over and over again, please don't leave me behind. If I fall out, please don't leave me, please don't leave me. And he eventually finds her and is horrified and tries to put her back on the horse and she won't go. I'd forgotten that. Um, yeah. yeah she, another touching and then relationship there's a, with a the wonderful horse. We don't dog. know much more about that horse. But. There's a wonderful dog who also advances the story. She doesn't do cats very much. Cats, I think will sit on a chair and be in the way or something, but she doesn't do cats, but, but the dog bouncer in the reluctant widow is a, he is a mixed breed, large, untrained, overly enthusiastic dog that belongs to the younger brother of the hero and um, Nikki. And Nikki is also untrained and overenthusiastic and he's trying to train bouncer. And in fact, his brother is doing the same thing to Nikki, trying to train Nikki as Nikki is doing to bouncer and um, bouncer does is given the run of the house and does um, foil some attempts by the bad guy to get into the house. Um, But he's just a wonderful foil for, for the character of Nikki and for his long-suffering brother, Lord Carlion, who is the hero of that book, um, that he he sees he sees the the potential in Nikki and the potential in Bouncer and um is extremely forbearing with both and kind. Um, but that's another good animal. And that is going to serve as our um accumulating remarks uh, on animals in Georgette higher novels. Uh, lots more to say. Uh, definitely um, we, we found a thread, which is there is a connection between sympathetic characters and character animals. Uh, very, very similar parallel to what we discovered about, about servants in our last conversation. But for now, dear friends, and um, others, interested others, we bid you a fond farewell. I'd like to thank our very special guest and hope that he joins us again. Thank you very much, Sir Carr. Thank you. And uh, Lady Sharon. Thank you. And we will see all of you, counts and lords and dukes and earls and um, women of, um, what are some of the words for women? I don't know, countesses and ladyships and earlettes. We will see you. We will see you next time on All Things Georgette. Goodbye for now. Goodbye.